Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 31. And I would say, yeah, use your inner circle and then take one circle out and who's your network there. And you'll be surprised if you ask people, hey, who do you know in this industry? How many people will be like, yeah, I'll recommend 10 people and, and make introductions for you. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co host of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here again this week with my beautiful and lovely and amazing Aww. and wonderful wife, Mrs. Carol Scott. Aw, that was so nice. I try, I try. That was so nice. I'm doing well. I know you didn't ask me that yet, but you always do. And I'm very thankful and very grateful. It is Thanksgiving week and I'm thankful for you. I am incredibly thankful for our boys, our friends, all of our family and listeners, we are entirely grateful to have you here supporting us, listening to these great stories and learning from these entrepreneurs every day. So hope you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving week and thank you for being you. And if you're not listening to this during Thanksgiving week, well, you can still be thankful because it's good to be thankful. So it doesn't matter when you're listening to this. Be thankful anyway. Speaking of being thankful, actually, this has nothing to do with speaking of being thankful, but... <laughs> Our guest this week, again, nothing to do with being thankful, but I felt like I needed a segue there. Our guest this week is a gentleman named Gavin Steinberg, and he used to be a multifamily real estate investor. He saw a need in his investing business, and he used that to launch a, I guess it's a furniture subscription business. And he's going to tell us what that means and how that works. He's also going to tell us how he leveraged his network to basically launch this business, to get into an industry that he knew very little about, to find customers, to find vendors, everything. So fantastic episode. If you're looking to start your business and you want to leverage your network, even in ways you probably haven't thought about, this is the episode for you. Now, if you want more information about this week's episode and links to some of the stuff we discuss, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow31. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow31. Now, without any further ado, let's bring on our guest, Mr. Gavin Steinberg. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're thrilled to have you here. Yeah, we are so looking forward to getting more information all about your new company, The Everset, and finding out all the great things that you're doing. And we're going to dig way back into the backstory, see how you got the idea for it, see how it's evolved. But before we go there, let's really set the stage for our listeners. So will you please tell us what The Everset is and the current state of your business? Yeah. So The Everset is a furniture subscription business. We offer designer-curated furniture packages without the burden of ownership. So you can come to our website, you can pick a designer package that we've created, or you can pick from our a la carte menu, and you can rent furniture from 3 to 14 months and 24 months. And then at the end of the, the subscription, you have the choice to either continue and renew, you can swap it out for something else as, as your life changes or your needs change, um, or you can return it and we'll come and pick it up. And 
All of the assembly, delivery, and pickup is all done for free. All of our mattresses are brand new and yours to keep. So that is who we are and what we do. Yeah, and we are... Uh, we're excited to be out there and, and providing furniture. Awesome. Well, we're going to dig into your backstory, but I, I have a couple quick follow-up questions. So is this a business that's geared towards homeowners? And if so, is it new homeowners or do people keep their furniture for long periods of time? And are you focused on specific cities or, or certain demographic, uh, uh, geographic locations? Or have you kind of uh, gone uh, wide scale? Yeah. So right now we're servicing the New York area. Um, parts of New Jersey and, and Westchester, but we're really focused on New York. And the people that we're servicing are, are really people in transition. Whether you're moving for a new job, you are moving into a new apartment, whatever that transition might be in your life, we are there to help you um, get furniture. And so it's not as much homeowners, it is definitely more renters. However, we have had people come to us and they're like, oh, I just had a flood in my apartment. And my insurance company put me up in this apartment and I'm going to be here for you know 18 months while my place is getting fixed. I need furniture. So th- there are tons of reasons that people rent with us. And yeah. Awesome. I love it. So Gavin, what is the backstory about the Everset? What were you doing before this? And, and how did that lead you to identify a need for this company? Yeah. So prior to, to launching the Everset, um, my background is in the real estate industry. I was the CFO of a, a multifamily owner operator here in New York. Uh, we managed about 2,500, 3,000 units at, a, at any given time. And of the 50 buildings that we managed, we probably owned about uh, 20 of them. Uh, we also did some, some small ground up development and condo conversions. And it was a gr- great place to, to kind of have a, a career and learn and, and grow. Uh, but I, I knew I always kind of wanted to do something uh, investing on my own and development on my own. So kind of towards the end of my time there, I started looking for new opportunities. Um, and one of the opportunities I found was building single family homes in Park City, Utah. So since 2015, I, I have been building homes in, in Utah. And one of the things that I do is sell them fully furnished. Um, so when you move, when you buy one of the houses I build, uh, it's fully furnished, you can move right in and it's ready to go. And that kind of sparked a little bit of this idea. So like people want to be able to have that convenience and not deal with furnishing it. And, and then kind of looking back at my multifamily background and, and rentals in the New York area, that apply, applying that same idea to, to New York rentals made even more sense because it's short term. People don't know where they're going to live in one to two to three years. Your furniture in one apartment doesn't fit in the next apartment. And there's a ton of costs associated with moving your furniture, storing your furniture, or if you have to sell your furniture at the end of your time with us, uh, with, with, if you buy furniture, if you have to sell it at the end, you're selling it for pennies. And it just really didn't make sense. The whole experience of buying and furnishing an apartment, we thought was broken. And that there, there was a better way to do this, particularly for, for young people who might not have the capital or the ability to go out and spend five to ten to $20,000, whatever the case might be, to furnish your apartment you can now have a really great looking apartment for a reasonable price and still have flexibility and convenience. And, and that's just kind of how people are living more and more so these days. And so we, we saw this hole in the market and, and we're, uh, yeah, we launched the Everset to kind of fill that need. So when you started building in Park City, presumably these are spec builds. Um, and um, did you typically have families that came in and said, we don't have furniture. This is our first house. We want to buy this house fully furnished. Or did you have people coming in saying, this is great. Thank you. But uh, take it out. We have our own stuff. We want to keep our own stuff. 
most people, so a lot of the, a lot of it is second home. Some of them are primary, but some of them are second homes. So a lot of people were just like, I live in another state. I don't want to deal with buying furniture. So it's a little bit of a different market, but it's at least where kind of some of the idea came from. And then the other piece of the idea just came from my own experiences and everyone's experiences of furnishing apartment can be a, a real struggle. And I think that, you know, we, when you move into a new apartment, it's often associated with these kind of milestones in life where you're moving into a new apartment because you got a new job or because you, you know, you got a raise and you're going to be able to afford a better place or you're moving in with a boyfriend or girlfriend or getting married or you're having a child, whatever the, the case may be in life where you have this milestone. And then if you ask someone, what are you doing this weekend? And they say moving, you're not like, oh, that's awesome. You're often like, oh, sorry, that sucks. And it should be this fun and exciting time in your life. And it's clouded by the pain of furnishing an apartment, dealing with the furniture, getting it in. So um, yeah, it's not quite the same thing as, as what was I'm doing in, in Utah or doing Utah. Um, but it's a, a similar kind of spark of, of the desire for flexibility and convenience. Excellent. Excellent. So when, when was it that you launched the Everset? When was this? So we officially launched in, in end of July of this year. Oh, great. So you're brand new. That is very, yeah, we very are, cool. We've been working on it for a while, but uh, yeah, we, we started servicing the public with our website uh, end of July. Excellent. And so was it just you who started the company or did you have a partner? What did that organizational structure look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd been playing with this idea for a little bit and I had it on my phone kind of in, in my list of things that I've been thinking about. And I knew that, you know, if I were to explore this anymore, I needed to learn more about the furniture industry. It was just something I didn't know anything about. Um, I had no background in furniture and it seemed like, okay, let me start trying to get a little bit smart on the furniture industry. So I reached out to an old acquaintance who I hadn't seen in probably 15 years, 10 years, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jonathan Matrani, who later uh, became the co-founder of the Everset. And I sent him a message on Facebook just being like, hey, I got this idea. Would love to get your thoughts on it. You know, I know we catch up, haven't seen you in a long time. Let me know if you're free. And I, I didn't hear anything for probably a month or two. Um, and I didn't think much of it because, you know, that's what happens. But he did respond eventually. And we set up and one meeting led to, you know, two meetings that led to four. And, and, it, and it just kind of continued from there. And we partnered up and, and John is the co-founder of the Everset. And I feel really lucky that A, I have a partner who I get along with really well. I think that that is like super unique. And, and uh, I feel very fortunate that we really do uh, have a great chemistry and, and can work well together. Um, and then he knows the furniture industry in and out. So um, yeah, so John takes care of the furniture side, um, a lot of the logistics, warehousing, and, and those kind of operations. Uh, and then we have Megan Hopp, who is the creative director at the Everset. And she is responsible for our creative team and uh, the design of, of our packages and the aesthetics and the look of, of, of the furniture. So she heads that up. And then uh, I do a lot of the little bit of everything and uh, a lot of business development and growth and, and kind of overseeing everything. Got it. Awesome. So take us through what the user experience is. So presumably somebody's moving to New York City. They decide they need furniture for either either temporary or long-term. And so somehow they find you. Do they go to your website? Do they walk into a showroom? What's that user experience, basically, that, that first step for the user? Yeah, I think one of the things that makes us unique is that we partner with the real estate community to offer our service as an amenity in their buildings. So with my real estate background, and then we have some advisors uh, in our group that also come from the real estate industry, we partner with real estate developers, brokers, property owners, so that when you walk into a building, they can say, 
we now have a furnished option. If you want a furnished apartment, we have that option for you. We work with the Everset and here, here's how it goes. So that's one option. And one way that we reach consumers is, is through our relationships in the real estate industry and our partnerships there. And then the other is just kind of a direct-to-consumer approach uh, where people come to our website and they can place the order. Um, either way, you're, you're going to the website to place the order, see the furniture, and, and make your kind of selection there. But those are our, our two ways that we're reaching our consumer. Yeah, I love that. So you're, you're leveraging your, your network first and foremost, um, and your, your previous industry experience. So let's talk about the website. So first of all, how are you marketing to potential clients? How, how do people find you? What are they searching for on the internet? Or are you sending out physical mail? What, what's the, what's the, the the draw? So the, you know, the thing with furniture subscription and, and when you're moving into a new place, this is not an impulse buy, right? It's not like, you're on Instagram and you're flipping through and you see a pair of shoes you really love and you're like, Oh, those look cool. I'll buy those. Like it doesn't work that way with this. You have to be in that moment thinking about moving. You're moving within a month or two or maybe even a week and you need furniture at that moment. So you're very kind of focused on that from a consumer. Like that's what you're, you're looking for. So it's not quite the same thing as kind of just throwing up some ads on Instagram and, and you know, people might need it at that moment. So a lot of people come to us just because of that reason they're looking for furniture and they'll go to Google, they'll search for it, and, and they'll find us through that because they have a specific need that they're seeking out. And then the other thing that happens a lot is when they walk into our partner properties is, is they're offered this service there. And that's also a moment in the process where they're thinking about furniture, they're thinking about moving. Um, so those are kind of uh, the two of the marketing channels that we, we see a lot of success with and, and in, in reaching customers. I love that. That's really cool. And speaking of marketing, I just, I love the whole concept of this whole subscription service around furniture, right? It's not, it's not called rent to own furniture. It's a subscription service. So I suspect that was early on in the strategizing early on in the developing of the company. Can you talk more about that whole thought process? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, our value prop kind of demanded that, that we go through and we call it and think of it as a, a subscription. Um, in that, you know, we provide flexibility, convenience, and no up, large upfront capital cost. And I think kind of the, the value prop determined what our business model might look like a little bit, because those are the things we wanted to provide to our cons- customers. Um, and it was like, okay, how do we do that? And, and the subscription model really made the most sense for that, because it provides the flexibility, the convenience, and an affordable monthly payment for however long you may need. And you can continue that subscription or you can end it whenever you want. So it was less about us saying, oh, we want to start a subscription business. Let's think about what that might be. It was more of, here's the problem that we have identified. How do we solve that problem? And then what is the best business model uh, that will help us achieve that? Yeah. One of the first things I noticed if I when I looked at your website was I would have expected going to the website, knowing what the, the backstory of your business was, I would have expected a very utilitarian website. So I go, I, I choose from these chairs, or I choose from these mm-hmm. tables. And what I found is it's very not that. It's very design-centric. And it's very, it, it's, it's, it's a very pretty website. Very lifestyle-focused. Yeah, it's got very that lifestyle. whole lifestyle feel to it. So mm-hmm. is that, was that a strategic decision? Like we want to, to attract a certain type of of subscription customer or what, what drove that, that non-utilitarian, more design-centric uh, aspect of the site? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, until now, kind of furniture rental, and there's companies that have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years, um, where you can go and rent furniture. 
it has really been thought of as, as a short-term solution for a short-term problem. I'm moving to New York for a job for three months. I don't want to go buy furniture. I don't want to go the Ikea route. I'll just take whatever I can get because I need somewhere to sit. And that was it. And I don't care what it looks like. I don't really care what the price is. I have no other choice. And the way we see our, our business and the, and the future of kind of the way people live with furniture is that you'll be able to subscribe to furniture for 12 to 24 to 36 months, however long it might be. And it's no longer just this short-term solution for that short-term problem. And kind of thinking about it in that way made us really conscious about what it was going to look like. Because if you are going to be living with it for 24 months, you want it to look really good. Um, so we were extremely thoughtful about the furniture we selected, the materials that we are using, and what it looks like from, from the experience on our website to when it gets to your home. We really wanted furniture that you'd be proud to have in your home and would look really great. And I think that's one of the other things that our, our service provides is, you know, if you're moving into a rental apartment and you want to have it a designer look, let's say, it, oftentimes it doesn't just, you can't justify going and hiring an interior designer if you're going to be there for a year or two years, you might not feel like this makes any sense or you don't have the, the, the funds at that time to go and do that. And how do you get a designer looking apartment uh, without going and getting a designer? Well, you can do that just by picking one of our packages that have been designed to, to fit a living room where the, all the furniture goes well together. So we, we thought about what is it going to look like in people's homes and, and how do we make it really attractive, both from a price point, but also the way it looks so that you can rent it for a long period of time and, and feel good about it. Cool. So tell us more about, as we're talking about, um, you're putting together these packages that were going to work well in people's homes and so on. Did you do any type of like testing around that or give us some more like actionable stuff around um, how you went about making that happen? We ordered a ton of furniture. We had a warehouse full of furniture. 90% of it did not make it into our catalog. I mean, we sat on every sofa, every chair, looked at every table. How is it assembled? What is it made of? Is it going to hold up? You know, it, it had to hit on... Uh, three things. One is is the material and the durability of it because it, it is going to be out there for a period of time and potentially going to someone else and 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 it needed to be a material that would hold up and, and work for that. It needed to be the right price point so that we could offer it to our consumer at, at a, a reasonable price and it needed to look good. So to hit all three of those boxes was a challenge. Um, and so we ordered a ton of furniture. We went through it all and we found pieces that we think hit all three of those. And that's how we kind of ended up where we are. And, and so where are you getting your furniture from? Are, are you sourcing it privately? Is this commercially available furniture? Do you work with specific uh, manufacturers or do you go right to retailers? What's, what's the process for getting your furniture? Yeah. So we source it privately and work with specific vendors and, and manufacturers. John has a ton of experience in the furniture industry and a ton of relationships. So there's a lot of different vendors we work with. And we intentionally are, are, don't offer any other brands. And, and this was done for a reason. We didn't want to just be a middleman uh, where if you want whatever the brand might be, Sofa, you're coming to our site and now we're just a logistics company delivering you that Sofa, basically. You know, if, if you want uh, whatever the brand might be, their Sofa, and you don't want to pay for it all at once, you can use a credit card and that's basically, you know, renting it, you know, and you can pay that off over time, or there's a lot of services out there where you could, where you could pay it over time. So we didn't want to be a middleman. We wanted to have our own brand and also position ourselves so that we could do other things as we grow and, and whether it's have our own furniture line or whatever else it might be, the brand that who the ever said is, 
and the furniture we offer, um, we didn't want to just be a middleman for other companies. And maybe there are, we are talking with certain companies about partnerships and there might be opportunities where we would do something, but we wanted to make sure that the Everset is the brand and you know, you're not coming to just for that sofa, but you can still get great looking stuff. I love it. I want to, I want to really, um, make note of the fact that it seems like throughout so much of this conversation, you keep coming back to one common theme, which is just leveraging your network and really tapping into those existing relationships, right? Like you're talking about one of your business partners who you hadn't talked with in forever and ever and ever, but you realize that he would add some tremendous value. As you're going about figuring out the whole, you know, just all of these different pieces of your network, I'm sorry, these different pieces of the business, you're not going out there and inventing from scratch. You're not just saying, let's just, let's just try and figure it out. You're really digging deep and looking for people that that you knew either through your own self or through one or two connections that could really be a good resource. So, um, which I think is just a really good tip for our listeners, which is no matter who you, how small your circle might be, just keep digging, right? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Just about the power of networks and building those relationships to grow your business? Yeah, absolutely. So exactly what you said is right. You know, I started with my, my kind of immediate circle and the first person I talked a lot about this was my family, you know, my wife, and, and people in my family were like talking about the idea just in general, and then kind of expanding from there. And, and I would say, yeah, use your inner circle and then take one circle out and who's your network there. And you'll be surprised if you ask people, hey, who do you know in this industry? How many people will be like, yeah, I'll recommend 10 people and, and make introductions for you. Um, and then I think kind of once you've exhausted that network, which is, I think for most people, it would take a long time to do, there's an opportunity to then go out and kind of expand that circle. So for example, this morning, someone invited me to a, a business networking uh, event, 7am. And like, I didn't know anybody there when met new people. Um, so yeah, I would always encourage, you know, go out, meet new people, talk as much as you can, uh, and try and expand your networks because you never know where that next one is going to come from. I mean, Megan Hopp, who's the creative director, we cold called her. You know, there was a list of 10 names we liked, 10 looks we liked. We cold called her. We started off small. We did a few projects and, and it grew into a good relationship and, and a good uh, business partnership. So you never know where it's going to come from or, or how it's going to materialize and um, pick up the phone and, and, you know, send that email, make a call or send that email. Awesome. So uh, are your customers, do you ever, you were in, you were in the investing field for a long time. You were a real estate investor. You did multifamily, you built spec houses. Are any of your customers or any of the market that you're going after, are they investors? Are you doing home staging or maybe short-term Airbnb furnishing for, for Airbnb type rentals or that sort of thing? Or have you kind of moved away from that and you're more focused on homeowners or home renters? Yeah. I mean, we're pretty focused on, on renters who are need furniture. We do staging. Uh, there is a need for that. And we get a ton of calls for also people who are kind of in the Airbnb corporate housing and they need a furniture solution. So there's lots of, of kind of furniture needs out there. But we're, we're pretty focused on working with our partnerships in the uh, real estate industry and our, our direct-to-consumers, making sure that they have a great experience and, and get the furniture that they need. Awesome. Excellent. Okay. So Gavin, I would love to know, how did you go about determining what your pricing structure would look like? So I think, you know, once we had determined that it, it was a subscription model, um, we did a couple of things. One, we looked at the market and the competition to see kind of where is everyone else priced and does that make sense for us? And then it was looking at, okay, well, given our, our vendors and, and our relationships and, and where we're able to buy furniture, what is the price point that, that we can deliver a great looking 
furniture, but at a reasonable price. And it was just kind of a balancing act, like I talked about before, of, of making sure the furniture hit on all of these things, durability, the look of it, and the price. And the, the, the price that we came to was where we are now. <laughs> so it, it was really more just about the process of, of kind of looking at the market and then, and then working backwards and, and thinking about where can we buy and, and make sure it works for our customers. Excellent. So speaking of customers, who was that very first customer and how did you go about getting that person as a customer? Yeah. So there's kind of the two customer groups that, that I've discussed, which is our relationships in the, in the real estate industry. And we look at them as, as a client or a customer. And so the first thing we did there was, was start with our network, like we talked about, and people I knew and testing it out in their buildings and seeing what the response would be like. So relying on our network to to see what it would what the process would look like and how it could work and and what people wanted and didn't want and we did a, a bunch of you know kind of test runs with customers through those buildings as we were kind of testing things out and figuring out what we wanted it to look like so our first customers were through this kind of pilot program that that we did with our our partners and and friends and in the real estate community you know i think the first customer that we had they they wanted like a ridiculously long sofa um and we're like, yeah, that, that sofa doesn't like exist. You can't get it. <laughs> um, and they're like, okay. And it was, it was three guys who were moving into a, a place and they're like, okay, we'll take this one. And we show up and you know, the hallway's this big and the door doesn't fit. So we have to saw the sofa in half and then bring it in and put it back together. And finally, you know, they're like, this is great. And, and they had their sofa, but uh, they had no idea that what it took to get that sofa through. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, th- so I want to hear more about, I think this is a really cool actionable tip and that's why I really want to dig into this. So you have all these networks, you, you are tapping into all these relationships, you're ready to do this, but you talked about actually having a pilot program to kind of test it and work out the kinks. Can you talk yeah. more about how, how you developed that pilot? What, what, what that entailed? I think that's fascinating. Yeah, so we had a, a long list of questions, both on the operational side and on the consumer side of of what does the customer want and how do we best service them, and then operationally, how is that going to work? You know, through a website, through ordering, through trucking, through deliveries, and all these questions from the internal and external side of the business, and you know, put together this list of all the things we wanted to figure out. Um, and then really just started trying to, to answer those questions one by one. And so we leveraged our relationships to go out there and put furniture in a building and see what would happen and then try and answer questions based on that. You know, we, we did some, some free uh, deliveries yeah. just to like let people see what it would look like and how it would work. And I think just kind of figuring out what the questions... First start with the questions that we wanted to answer and then kind of how do we answer that question? Uh, and, and that's the process we took to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool because it's enable it's it kind of works in both ways, right? It's enabling you and your team to figure out how you should go about doing all of these things that had not been solidified yet, right? It gives you some more some more insight in how to make that happen. And simultaneously, you're starting to build a customer base right off the bat. They're benefiting from what you're doing. So I think that's a just a really nice tip is if you're launching something new to figure out a small, just kind of micro way to get things going before you just blow out an entire an entire launch and not necessarily have everything in place. So I think that's a really cool way to test that out. Yeah, and the other no, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the other benefit there is that um, if things don't go well because you're not charging full price um, and you're basically you're treating the customer as if it's a test customer, um, they're not going to go online and give you bad reviews and and complain because they recognize that this is what it is what it is. It's it's they're they're the guinea pig. Absolutely. I mean, the 
the chances that your initial idea and then the, the way you thought it was going to work initially work out exactly like that are zero. Like things are going to change. You're going to realize I should have done this. I needed to do that. We're going to change this so that, you know, we deliver this way or the furniture comes like this. There's just, when it's an unknown, that's particularly in a business that doesn't have a lot of history behind it where you can't be like, oh, this is how everyone in the industry does it. There's so many questions and unknowns that you need to answer and, and testing those out and figuring out what works and doesn't work, I think is crucial to, to kind of starting a business like this. That's great. Yeah, I, I love that. So what does your organization look like now? How many employees do you have? What are their roles? Um, and, and what's your plan for growth? Yeah, so uh, and we're a small company. It's, it's early days. So we outsource a lot of our, our, our branding and marketing efforts. And then, you know, anything that's kind of customer facing, we want to try and own that piece of the, the process. So anything that is customer service, phone, email, communication with customers, delivery, when we're in someone's home, that's a really personable, personal space. And we want to make sure that experience is, is really great. So we want to own that entire process. And then after that, John oversees, like I said, uh, all of the furniture, logistics, warehousing, um, and, and delivery side. Megan is creative director over that side. And then as, as CEO, I, I'm uh, overseeing and, and doing a lot of the business development and growth. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And so I, I want to hear kind of where you're planning to go, but I, I have some tactical questions, just thinking of it from a business perspective. So what yeah. happens when you get that phone call that, okay, thank you. The we're, we're, we're done with our subscription. We want to return the furniture and you get the furniture back and you realize there's stains all over the cushions and the cat's been chewing up the, uh, the, the couches and, and that sort of thing. How do you deal with that? And, and is that something that's baked into your business model or... Yeah. Um, I mean, for example, this morning, uh, someone from our, our customer team, we had a, a delivery and, and they called me up and they're like, yeah, the dog just jumped on the on the sofa five minutes into the, <laughs> the delivery with mud all over themselves. Uh, you know, what do we do? And it's like, nothing. That's that's what we do is, you know, this is part of the process. Stuff is going to get dirty. And, and that's just the way it kind of goes. And, and we've modeled in part of that loss factor. But the other thing we tried to do is be really thoughtful about like I said, the, the materials that we put selected and, and the furniture we selected so that slip covers can come off and we can wash them and clean them. Or that, you know, if it's a leg that needs to be replaced um, so or a material that, you know, we can paint or refinish. So we, we really wanted to be thoughtful about all the, the furniture we selected so that we could put it back out into the field like new and the next customer doesn't feel like they're getting something used because that's not a good feeling. And that's kind of the, the process that we take with that. I think that's really cool. And it's, I really like too, how, um, you are, you're definitely saying that you are very mindful about anticipating the realistic problems that were going to come up as a part of this business and having measures in place. And like you said, purchasing the right type purchasing and offering the right types of furniture so that when those problems arise, it's really not a big deal. You're ready to handle it. And rather than just going for it and seeing what's going to happen. For sure. I mean, we expect people to live on this furniture. It's in your home. It's not, it's going to get, you know, somewhere in tear. And then that's, that's what happens. And, and we're okay with it. So what do you do when, when the furniture comes back? Uh, presumably some of it can be reused and, and redeployed. Uh, there's going to be other stuff that I guess is to, for lack of a better word, completely depreciated and needs to be gotten rid of. Um, what, what do you do with that old furniture? Do you repurpose it? Do you give it away? Do you throw it away? The stuff that, that is in, in good shape, we thoroughly clean and, and refurbish and, and it can go back out into the field. And then the, the stuff that kind of end its, end its, ended its useful life with, with us, 
uh, we have a partnership with Habitat for Humanity. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. So what we do is Habitat for Humanity has restores all across the country. And a restore is a place where they sell donated furniture to the community at a discount. So all of our furniture goes to, to the restore. Uh, it gets sold to the, the community at, at discounted furniture. And so our furniture ends up in someone's home versus a landfill, which is great. And then the proceeds from that sale actually go to building affordable housing. Um, so it really goes full circle to making sure that our furniture stays out of landfills, but also helping actually build someone a home. That's, That's awesome. That's great. So you have a mission uh, focus, like baked right into your whole overall business plan, which is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't want to have leftover furniture. And, and then, you know, you walk down the streets in New York and you see piles of furniture on, on the corners and it's just kind of crazy. Um, and being able to, to make sure that someone else could use it and, and have some furniture uh, was, a, was a win for us. That's awesome. So, what are your plans from here? So, you're you're gonna you're gonna take over and conquer New York City. Um, where do you go from there? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're really focused on New York right now. It's the largest rental market in the country. There's you know two million renters here. There's a, a lot of uh, market to to focus on here. But yeah, we have we have plans to expand outside of New York also. Excellent. This, this problem is not unique. This furniture problem is not unique <laughs> to New York. So. Um, Many cities across the, the country are facing the, many people are facing the same issues. Sure. I'm just curious too, in addition to the subscription service, is it an option? Is it part of your business plan that people can purchase furniture as well? Is that like an ancillary business? Is that part of the business or is that not something you're offering yet or something you may offer in the future? Yeah. I, if people come to us during their subscription or at the end and say, listen, I love my furniture. Can I buy it? We'll work something out with them. It's not something we're really offering at this time. Um, but we're discussing it and, and we we'll, might have some changes coming in, in the future. Yeah, just curious to see if that was part. But I actually, I'm really liking that that is not necessarily the case. It shows that you're truly, from day one, you're really focused on really perfecting the subscription model and everything that goes into that business in and of itself, rather than expanding into way too many areas way too quickly. So I think that's really thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, that's the thought. Otherwise, also, it's just basically, you know, a lease to own or a financing program, yep. uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. And, and we might explore that. Uh, but right now it's, it is a subscription model where you can renew and keep going or, or return. That's awesome. Okay. So at some point, very soon, we're going to jump into the last segment of the show, but I, I do want to ask for our audience, a lot of people are entrepreneurs looking to get their start or looking to grow their business. Do you have any tips from your experience as an entrepreneur, both a real estate investor um, and, and now business owner, do you have any tips for them for what they should be doing or what they could be doing to uh, to make their journey a little bit easier? Yeah. So one thing I feel like I've been thinking about a lot is, as we've been going on this journey, is is the ability to say no. It's really hard to say no sometimes. And I think there's this desire to, particularly when you're trying to grow a young, a small business and and make it bigger is to say yes to everybody who asks you to do something. And there's all these opportunities that are, you know, hanging in front of you that you want to try and go and get. And being able to kind of take a step back and say, you know, what am I really focused on? What is the goal? And, and what's the best way to achieve it? Often takes uh, saying no to some things. And so that's something we talk about on our team sometimes is, are there projects that we're working on or looking at that don't make sense and don't kind of align with our, our core mission of, of what we're trying to accomplish? And will they be a distraction or will they help us succeed? And if they're not going to help us succeed, we really shouldn't be doing them because um, there's only so much time in a day. And 
if you're spending your time on projects that are distracting you, it's it's gonna you know you're not gonna be able to to, to win. So that takes saying no, and that's something that that we are trying to do uh, also here. Um, yeah, awesome. excellent, love that. Okay. Well, this is the point in the show where we want to jump into our final segment that we call The Four More, where we ask you four rapid-fire questions that we ask all our guests. And then when we're done mm-hmm. with that, we're going to give you the op- the opportunity to tell us more about where our listeners can connect with you. Sound good? Great. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so I'm going to take the first question. What was your first or your worst job, and what did you learn from it that you've now used in your, your own business? Uh, first job was interning at Def Jam in high school. Nice. Um, which was a lot of fun. I, I was in the music industry for years in a different life. Huh. So I interned at Def Jam when I was a senior in high school. And I guess the first, the thing that, one of the things I really learned there, I remember um, the person I was working for saying, is like, don't ask questions all the time. And, and that's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't be able to ask questions when you're at a new job, but there's, there's something to kind of trying to figure something out on your own before going and bothering people with it. So that would be something I think I learned in the first is just like, give it a try, try and figure it out. What can you do? You might not get it right, but you don't have to ask every time right away, how do I accomplish this? Or, or what do I do to make this happen? Come to the person after you've tried and say, I'm, you know, I tried this, it's not working. What could I do? Love that. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. My question for you, Gavin, is what was the defining moment when you realized that you totally had an entrepreneurial itch and you were going to do something on your own? So for people outside, uh, outside of New York, there's a, a sporting goods store called uh, Paragon here. It's on 18th Street. I think it's 18th uh, and Broadway. And when I was in, I want to say eighth grade, Seventh grade, I don't exactly remember, but somewhere around seventh, eighth grade, there was a pair of basketball shorts that became really popular in New York called Olaf's. And you could get them uptown from one little store. And I decided to pitch Paragon on carrying these shorts. And I was somehow going to either like work out a deal with the owner of the store to manufacture them in bulk and, and get them to Paragon and sell them. So I set up a meeting with the buyer there. And I remember my mom and I going into this meeting uh, and her, you know, like chaperoning me into this, this meeting with a seventh grader um, and pitching him on, on like, you need to carry these shorts. You need to, to own these and, and sell these in your store. And they, I don't, they didn't do it with us, but um, every other company knocked these shorts off not long after that. And so that was kind of like, I, I've always had, of, had those things happening and going on and, and, and had that entrepreneurial itch even at, at a young age. Awesome. Excellent. So, okay. Question number three, if you could go back in time and I know your business is only a few months old, but if you could go back a few months, what advice would you give yourself before starting this business so that you would do things better or differently? I'll try and think of something else, but I, I think this comes back to the saying, no, it's been super important for us and for me um, not to, to say yes to everything. So I can kind of think, try and think of something else, but saying no is is really important um, so that you don't get distracted. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. And my fourth question is, it's a fun one that I always like to get a little more of a take on. What is something in your personal or your professional life that you've splurged on along the way that was totally worth it? Oh, <laughs> um, I buy nothing. Uh my, I have like my wife complains that all my clothes are falling apart and like have holes in them. So I have very little that I spend on. I would guess the the one thing that we do or I do want to kind of splurge on is is trips and and kind of 
experiences and vacations with, with my family. So I have two boys, uh, love going away with the family and kind of spending, spending our, our, our time and money on that versus other things. And I think that somewhat aligns also kind of with like, I think our customers thoughts and on how they look at things, which is like, yeah, I don't need to buy $20,000 worth of furniture. I'd rather go use that money for something else. And I could have a small monthly payment and rent my furniture and subscribe to my furniture for a period of time and, and do other things with my, my money. Awesome. That's awesome. Love that. Okay. So let's jump into the more question. Where can our audience find out more about you, connect with you and find more about your business? Yeah, you can find it all at theeverset.com. You can email us at hello at the Everset, and you can check us out on Instagram and, and Facebook uh, at the Everset. Fantastic. Gavin, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing tips and helping out our audience. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to checking back next year after you've had some more time in business to see where things are going and what new you've learned and what new you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks so much. That was a really great episode. I love the fact that he literally started this business just a few months ago, and he's already been able to hit the ground running, mostly because, and he talked about this during the episode, mostly because he leveraged his network. He wasn't scared to reach out to people that knew the industry better than he did. He found a partner that knew the industry. Uh, we talked to him a little bit after the episode. We, we really liked his website, so we asked him who did his website. Turns out that his website designer was somebody that does some really, really big companies, and it was a guy he went to high school with. So he reached out to this high school friend to do his website. So it's just a really great testament to the idea that if you've got a network, even if you don't have a network, you probably do. You don't even realize it. Reach out to those people and let them help you because there are other people that might know your industry and know your needs even better than you do. I agree. And additionally, one other thing that, again, I think is really worth noting is that one of the reasons he was able to just tap into those people so quickly, get just get his feet in there and just do it make such momentum so quickly is that instead of waiting to answer every single question about the business, he and his partners did a pilot program. They knew that there were things that, that they didn't know the answers to, but rather than anticipate every single last one of those needs, like let's just try something small and get going on this project to make it happen. So again, a testament, not only to building relationships, but to trying something on a micro level to just get it going. Absolutely. Okay. Well, With that said, are we ready to end this episode? Let's wrap it up, baby. Okay. Have a great week, everybody. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now go tap into that network today. Have a great one, everybody. And give thanks for everyone and everything. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. 